All right, I'll let you guys take a second, grab your coffee, get situated. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Psalm 100 this morning. You already drank your coffee? Psalm 100. You got five verses to work through today. So, yeah, give you guys a second and we will dive in here. All right, so if you guys are there, we're going to start out Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. God, um, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity we have to to come and and worship you um, for who you are because you are good. Um, Thanks for your son. Thanks for life that we have through the cross. I pray over our time this morning that uh, this would be a challenge to our hearts as, as we look to what it looks like for us to worship you, um, that it would challenge us in, in the way we look at circumstances in our lives, the way we look at um, the reality of how you're working and what you're doing, and that we would be molded, shaped, challenged, and transformed to, to live and walk with you differently. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I will be the first to tell you, as I talked with, uh, with our small group this past week, the Psalms are really, really difficult for me. Um, I tend to be, as, as my wife will confirm, the most non-contemplative person in the world. Um, very action-oriented. I don't like to sit. Uh, just the idea of sitting in general drives me absolutely insane. Um, the Psalms are difficult for me because as we read through the Psalms, we see the way that David and other psalmists, and where are you going, child? We see the way that David and other psalmists sit and contemplate the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. I don't do that very well in my life. Um, I tend to be very action-oriented. So as we come to the psalms, this is a real challenge for me, and I hope it is for all of us, that as we dig through verse by verse in what we're working through today, it challenges us to sit. It challenges us to be quiet. It challenges us to think and to contemplate and to see the reality of what God has done for us. Because as we read through this psalm, we get an idea of a very pure, unadulterated form of worship. Um, A worship that is given to a God who has done something for them and is a response to what they've seen. So yesterday, the boys and I got a chance to go up to the swamp. Have you been to Florida football games? Okay, straight up chaos. And they played Vanderbilt yesterday. Wasn't even a good game. Right? No, that's Florida State, you doofus. This is, this is the Florida, yeah. So anyways, we went up to the Florida football game yesterday. Not even a good game. Um, but I was in, in between the third and the fourth quarters. Okay? They sing Tom Petty. I found out yesterday Tom Petty's actually from, Green, from Gainesville. I had no idea that that was the case. But they sing Tom Petty between the third and the fourth quarter. And as I was looking around this stadium of, of 95,000 people, who are swaying back and forth, singing Tom Petty together, 
we get one of the purest and most beautiful ideas of what worship is supposed to look like. The problem is it's just the worship of the wrong thing, right? If you want to find pure, unadulterated worship, go around the SEC on a Saturday and see what worship is supposed to look like. So today, as we dive into Psalm 100, I hope that this challenges us to think through how we worship and what the process of that actually looks like. So if you have slides for me, Abe, we're going to start. I have five points today, and each point is going to be connected to one specific verse. So verse 1 of Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The very beginning of what David challenges us to in Psalm 100 is praise. Thanks in praise. So Psalm 100 was specifically written for Israel as a hymn or something that they would, they would cry out and they would sing as they had military victory. Right? So as they went into these surrounding cities and Yahweh went before them and they had victory over surrounding nations, Psalm 100 is what would come out of their mouths. Right? And as they were chanting this praise to Yahweh, we see at the very beginning that the first call to action that we have in praise is that there, or in, in this worship, is that there is thankfulness in praise. Thankfulness in praise for what Yahweh had already do- done. And it's interesting to see that as he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Who is called to make a joyful noise to the Lord? What does it say right after that? All the earth, right? It's not just Israel. Israel aren't the only ones who are making a joyful noise to the, war- to the, to, to the Lord, right? The nations that have just been conquered are making a joyful noise to the Lord. He's immediately putting forward this idea that in military victory, Yahweh is the one who is king over everything. That regardless of the circumstances or who they formerly worshipped, Yahweh is the one true God. He is the one that deserves the praise. All the earth should be making a joyful noise for the acts that Yahweh has already carried out. It says we are to praise him for what he has done for us. So what do we know? What has God done for us? You guys can shout it out. What has God done for you this morning? Okay, he woke you up. What else? What has God done for us? Gave us breath to live, right? What else? What has God done for us? He paid it all for us, right? Sandy, via what Yahweh has done for us, we all ate this morning because of you, right? Everything that we have is a blessing from our Creator. But is praise the natural thing that comes out of us for the blessings that we receive in our life? Right? Psalm 103.3 tells us ultimately what Yahweh has done for us. It says, He is the one who forgives all of our iniquity and heals all of our diseases. The reason we're sitting in here this morning is because that is true. Right? All of our iniquity, all of our diseases, all of our failure, all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our sin has been taken by our Creator. And He has washed it as far as the east is from the, re- from the west through what He's done for us on the cross. Praise has to be, the joyful noise has to be the natural reaction to what he has done for us. And so the question this morning is, how much are we actually sitting and contemplating that? 
How much are we waking up in the morning and contemplating the goodness and mercy and grace of God that he's given us in our lives that we don't deserve? Psalm 156 tells us, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I think if praise is not the natural thing coming out of us in understanding what God has done for us, I would question whether we actually understand what God has done for us. Is praise our natural reaction? When we understand the truth of the gospel and the reality has what has been done for us on the cross, the only option we have, is, as, as Justin and Lisa are, are worshiping this morning, the only option we have is to shout with praise for what he has done. Psalm 102 tells us, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So secondly, first, we're thankful in praise. Secondly, we're thankful in service. What does that mean? What does it mean to be thankful in service? To serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. The reality is that when we understand those things to be true and the reality of the gospel, then everything in our life has to be an act of service for that reality, right? In Romans 12, 1, it tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because of what God's done, because of what Yahweh has done, we are called to give everything of ourselves to that reality. So what is your spiritual act of worship this morning? Because once again, I would challenge us if we're not praising because of what, I've, what he's done and we're not serving and sacrificing because of what he's done, do we really understand what he's done? In John 1, in 1 John 1, I'm sorry, John, the, the apostle of Jesus who walked with Jesus for all these years, he starts out his book of 1 John 1, and he ends in verse 4 of his introduction by saying, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And what John is telling us is that without giving away what he has been given, his joy was in fact incomplete. Because he wasn't giving what he had received, his joy was incomplete. We are not given anything that we are not meant to give away. So what have you been given this morning? What grace have you received this week that you're called to give away? What blessing have you received this week that you're called to give away? What opportunity do you have this week to give your life in sacrificial worship to the king who has given himself for you? And I shared this with you guys a couple weeks ago when I preached here last time. But this was an integral part of my story of coming to faith in Christ. As I was challenged through a friend, through a teammate, who asked me tough questions, and I realized what I did in my life and what I said I believed didn't match up, and that if Jesus actually did what Scripture tells us that he did, then everything in my life has to be a response to that reality. Because if it's not, then I don't really understand what I've been given. So we are called to praise, and we are called to service. And ultimately, that service, once again, should lead us to vocally come into his presence with singing. In Psalm 95.1, it tells us, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
In verse 3, we get our third point. Thankfulness in dependency. Verse 3 tells us, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So where our response initially is a motive, as we see what God has done for us, it moves from being a motive to being intellectual, right? What does David tell us to do? He says to know that the Lord, he is God. This is a process of the way our relationship with the Lord looks, right? So uh, Jason, I'll pick on you. Has your marriage, you and Laura, has it changed over the years? Okay. What was it like at the beginning? Okay, maybe it was a little rough, but all right. So per most couples, did you have infatuation point? Yeah, you had infatuation point, right? And so it's, it's emotional, it's, it's exciting, it's yada, yada, yada. Now, how long have you guys been married? Okay, so do you love each other more now than you did at the beginning? Does your marriage look different? Because you know each other. There's a consistency in knowledge that changes from infatuation to deep knowing and deep loving, right? That's the way marriage reflects the reality of our relationship with the king. And so what David is challenging us here is because of the consistency in relationship of Israel having walked with Yahweh and consistently seen what he's done over and over and over and over again, they know that he is good. They know intimately and deeply that he is God. And then he goes on and he says, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. They not only knew who God was, they knew who they were and how they stood in relationship to God. One thing they knew about God was his consistency. Right? And we see this throughout all of Scripture, even into Hebrews. In Hebrews 13, 8, it tells us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. They knew God because they knew his consistency, his consistency of character and how he had walked with them. They had seen these victories over and over and over again. There was a consistency of knowing that led to their praise. And there was a consistency of identity knowing who they were. And who did they say that they were? His sheep of his pasture. Have you guys ever been around sheep? Yeah, they're, they're very clueless animals. Okay, not very intelligent animals, all right? And they can't do much of anything for themselves. Have you guys ever seen that? There was like a video that went around just a couple months ago. It went viral of like the sheep that finally the shepherd pulled out of the ditch and it like ran and ran and like 30 seconds later jumped right back in the ditch. Right? It's hilarious. If you can find it, it's, it's worth watching over and over and over again to laugh at. But that's us, right? That's what Israel is saying, self-identified. This is who we are. We are entirely dependent on him. Our military victories, they don't come by our own power, right? Everything we have is dependent on him. So for us today, do we sit in that same posture? Do we sit in a posture of knowing that we are entirely dependent on him? Or do we think that we can do it ourselves? I know I very naturally think I can do it myself. And the reality of what this is telling us is we can't. 
Israel has no shot in military victory. We have no shot in success. We are entirely his and we are entirely dependent on him. In John 10, he tells us, Jesus tells us, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Number four, in verse four of Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. There is a thankfulness in giving, and I would say, and I'm adding this in the moment, a thankfulness in presence. What is Israel called to do? Come into his courts. Be intimate with him. Be close to him. That's the access and the option that we have as believers, right? Because of what Yahweh has done, Israel can then walk with the king. Israel can then come into his courts and be intimate with him. He's a personal God. In the same way, we have that. We have the option to be intimately personal with the king of the universe who has given himself for us. We are called to come into his courts with praise. And with thanksgiving, in 1 Thessalonians, we're told to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Does this define our lives? Are we rejoicing always? Are we praying without ceasing or are we giving thanks in all circumstances? I will be the very first to tell you that this does not define me. Abby will be the second to tell you that this does not define me. Just this week, we have major plumbing issues under our slab that we have to take out our whole floor, right? I was not giving thanks in all circumstances when we found that leak. I won't be giving thanks tomorrow when I pay a plumber to fix it, right? But the reality is this is what we're called to. Right? I'm called to rejoice in my plumbing issues. Right? I'm called to pray without ceasing. And I'm called to give thanks into, in the midst of the fact that there's water going under my house. Right? Because what do I know? I know that he provides. He always has. Right? I know that he's good. He always will be. Right? I know these things to be true. And because I know the history of those things to be true then I can rejoice in all circumstances. Now, I don't, and that's my own sin issue, but I can because I know the truth of who God is and what he's done. That leads to our final point here. There is a thankfulness in remembering. So David ends his psalm here in verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. All things that we have in life and death are from him and for him. Everything that there is. Just as David is calling Israel to remember that the Lord is good and his love endures forever, he's calling us to remember that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. In Romans 8, we know this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that he's working all things for good. We don't know what that good is, but we trust that he's faithful to carry it out. And we trust that he goes beyond us and knows what it is. And we're the sheep of his pasture. 
Do we trust that today? Do we trust that the hard things of life are ultimately for our good? Maybe our good in sanctification might not be our financial good, but it's for our good. Do we trust that to be true? Because he is good, he is kind and patient with us. In 2 Peter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. He is patient with us. Right? His kindness to us is meant to lead to our repentance. He is patient and he is good. Do we know that to be true? This is the goodness of our God and the same God that led Israel into victory in the promised land is the same God that's walking with us today. And so as we look at our own lives and we sit for a second, we say, what does it look like for me to, to contemplate? What does it look like for me to sit and know that he is good and that he is God? Despite my circumstances, despite what's going on, do I see the consistency of what God has done in my life that's, that I'm not responsible for? Do I see that? Right? And because of that, am I, am I pushed to praise? What does praise look like in my life? Right? I think for all of us, as, as we sit leaving here today, my prayer for all of us is that we are people of praise. That worship is what comes out of us because we've contemplated what he's done for us. Secondly, are we people of service and sacrifice? Because of what he's done, are we giving ourselves fully to that reality? Am I fully bought in to what Christ has done for me? And is my life a response to that? Is the gospel the thing that undergirds everything I do and the reason for everything I do? Do I recognize my own dependency? Do I recognize that I am a sheep of his pasture and he is my shepherd? We are not independent. You and I are not in control. We never will be. Do I recognize that to be true and do I trust the goodness of the one who I'm dependent on? Am I coming into his presence? Because of what Christ has done, I've been given access to the throne room. I'm called to come before the throne. Am I actually taking advantage of it? Am I actually sitting in his presence because of what he's done? And am I remembering that he is good? As we walk out of here this morning, I pray that those are things that define us that we sit in that reality and that becomes our identity, right? That we are his, he is good, and he has already won the victory, one that we can't win on our own. Let's pray. God, um, we are dependent, completely dependent. And we're thankful. And God, I pray that we're people of praise. I know that so, so often that is not our natural bent. That's not naturally what comes out of us. God, so often it's, it's the opposite. It's the complaining and the frustrations, and, um, and it's not praise. God, I pray that, that we take time to sit and contemplate what you have done.
not just over the course of our lives, but over the course of history. You are consistent. You are good. You are patient with us, and you are kind to us. God, I pray this week in, in whatever comes up, whatever trials happen, that we would intentionally pursue praise. That we would intentionally lay down our lives in, in sacrifice because that is our spiritual act of worship. That we would intentionally remember how dependent we are on you. And that that would be our identity, God. Thanks for this morning. Thanks for Psalm 100. Thanks that you did conquer the promised land. Um, God, help us to run hard after you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so at this point, we are going to transition into a time of prayer. Um, so I don't actually have a slide for you guys, nor did I really think about this before this morning. Oh, somebody, Blake probably did a slide from Oklahoma. So uh, we are praying for Puerto Rico, apparently. Um, but I think I would also challenge us to pray for Israel today. Um, so, you know, both of those things, actually, my aunt and uncle are currently in Israel at the moment. Um, they won't get out until Tuesday. And uh, so that's been a little interesting. Um, so yeah, pray for Israel and then pray for Gulf Coast Church with Josh and Carissa Couch. Does anyone know anything about Gulf Coast Church? <laughs>